Canine Cast number 61 is brought to you by Home Again Pet Recovery Service and ID Microchips on the web at homeagainpets.com. It's the Canine Cast with Tara and Walter. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Canine Cast. This is Tara. And hello, everyone. This is Walter with your Canine Cast recap. In case you missed the last Canine Cast, Canine Cast number 60. We discussed how to find a good vet. Plus, we had a story about a famous naval Great Dane. And we talked about our visit at a Chihuahua meetup. On today's Canine Cast, we actually have a number of things to cover. Uh, First, we're going to talk a little bit about a new schedule. Um, We're also going to uh, touch back on feeding raw and uh, classifying dogs. We have a question about living with a dog that is going deaf, as well as another question about how to add a second dog to the family. And last but not least, we have a listener um, kind of story information about doggy playgroups. So to get started, um, like I said, uh, we're going to try kind of a different schedule. The reason why we're doing this is because, as I'm sure most of you have noticed, things have gotten a little bit hectic here, and we've kind of gotten off of our normal schedule. Yeah, sorry about that, guys. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 not fun for us. We'd much rather be doing canine casting than um, than the other stuff. But you know, ne- necessary things in life. So, um, so what we're hoping is that until things calm down, um, we're just going to go ahead and do the show one time a week. That way, our hope is that it will allow us to bank some shows so that even if things get hectic and we can't do a new show for a little while, we'll have some um, kind of as backups so that we can put those out for you guys so that you'll get one at on least a, once on a week. On a regular basis, which is important. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Because um, with doing them twice a week, um, even even though we love it, we're pretty much working on them, you know, most most days. So it doesn't really leave us a whole lot of time to, um, you know, to kind of get some extra ones there. This way, we'll get some extra ones, and you know, then later on, if things calm down a little bit, as we as we hope that they will, um, in you know, the coming months at some point, then maybe we can go back to our twice a week schedule. But, um, but just so you all know, we'll be going to once a week for now. So for our next thing, we had uh, listener comments about uh, Podcast 59. This came in from Brianna. Now, in Podcast 59, we were talking about the, uh, the barf diet or feeding raw, a uh, number, number of different ways to describe a certain diet for dogs that basically consists of um, feeding them you know, raw food rather than feeding them, say, um, you know, cooked, cooked home food or doggy kibble and that kind of thing. So Brianna writes in, uh, I was just listening to show number 59 and wanted to clarify a few things. The main thing to clarify is that dogs are carnivores. Dogs belong to the order carnivora. They are scientifically classified as carnivores, not omnivores. Dogs are also opportunists and will eat what they can, which confuses some with what they are classified as. Part of the confusion is that animals are classified by their makeup rather than their diet. Some of the reasons why a dog is classified as a carnivore is because they have sharp pointy teeth for ripping and tearing at flesh, not flat ones like people, which are meant for chewing our food. Dogs have a very short digestive tract. Bacteria cannot survive because of the hydrochloric acid in the stomach. People, omnivores, have very long digestive tracts. Dogs do not produce enough amylase for breaking down grains, as people do. I have been feeding a raw diet for the past five years and have raised two puppies on raw. 
We have three dogs and two cats on raw. The benefits are astounding, and we have found a wonderful co-op in our area that supplies us with very reasonable raw and meaty bones. We also do a lot of traveling. We attend agility shows almost every weekend. We qualified for the AKC Agility Nationals in Tampa and enjoyed our time there. So, I know it's easier to travel with a bag of kibble, but even with a show schedule, it is possible, and I couldn't dream of doing anything different. Brianna. Well, thank you, Brianna, for writing in um, to, to go ahead and, and uh, comment on some of what she said. In podcast number 59, I had um, I'd brought up, you know, dogs being omnivores. And, yeah, ju- just, to, just to clarify, what, what I was talking about there, of course, was I was talking about in, um, in terms of diet. So, so I probably did actually use kind of the wrong terms there. And what I should have said, rather than dogs being omnivores, is that dogs can be omnivorous when it comes to diet. The, and the reason why I say that is, first of all, as Brianna brings up, if you talk to any biologist or any zoologist, anybody who deals in um, Bloom's taxonomy, how, how animals are classified in general, yes, they'll tell you that dogs are classified as carnivores. However, when you, when you look in different places, depending on where you look, you'll find a wide variety of information regarding a dog's diet. So you'll find things ranging anywhere from that dogs are carnivores and should completely be on a meat diet and really shouldn't get any vegetation at all, all the way to the very opposite extreme where um, there are people who claim that they have had very, very good results feeding their dogs a completely vegetarian diet. And you know, you'll, get, you'll get everything in between. Now, um, part part of the reason for this is probably that um, you know, s- so far as um, speaking, you know, nutrition and, and diet, dogs are not what they call obligate carnivores. Meaning, um, I, I, guess, I guess you know the best the best way to describe that in layman's terms would be that it, it's kind of a degree of of carnivore. How how much meat they need to have in their diet versus you know how much vegetation they can eat and still be healthy. And of course, now I mean, I'm not I'm not a nutritionist. I don't have the the answer as to what is absolutely best for a dog. Um, I wish I did, because if I did, then that's what I would feed my dogs all the time. Um, but you know, bas- basically, you know, what the best thing for us to do as you know people who love our dogs and want them to have the very best life is is to kind of do what is best for you and your dog. Um, meaning that if you you know. If you are going to try feeding, you know, whatever raw kibble, um, cooked diet, so on, um, to you know, to try and just watch what it what it does to your dog. Because any any time that you change your dog's diet, it can change your dog's health. Um, number one, in 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 ways that are obvious, such as the dog's coat and the way it shines. Even even it can change your dog's behavior. Uh, for example, um, some some dogs that maybe would would be lethargic on, say, a kibble diet, um, if they they're switched over to a higher protein diet, whether that be you know another kind of kibble or the raw food diet or you know so on, um, you know may may get a lot more energy and kind of you know regain their puppyhood. Whereas some dogs that maybe are are um, you know very very high you know high strong and extremely energetic on a very high protein diet may actually benefit from having a diet that's a little bit less uh, or a little bit lower in protein 
um, to, to help kind of calm them down a little bit. Um, just, you know, different ways that people use diet to affect their dog's behavior and, you know, and vice versa. Your dog's, your dog's behavior could be affected by a change in diet without you even necessarily meaning that as a side effect. But, um, but anyway, but the, the reason why, you know, I bring all this up and, uh, and revisit this is because, um, like I, like I said, dog, dog nutrition, there, there really is no good answer that I can give you that's, you know, best for each person and their dog. It's really kind of an individual thing. But regardless of what you decide to do with your dog and your diet, some things that I very highly recommend, of course, are that you work with your vet. And at the same time that you do that, keep in mind that different veterinarians have different degrees of uh, canine nutritional background as well. Um, actually canine nutrition from you know from what i've seen is kind of a new something that's that's being studied um more recently um or or is being more is being put into the study of it than was in years past because for for so long during the time that dogs lived with humans they basically ate um you know kind kind of what the humans ate um scraps or or what they hunted and uh, dog kibble is kind of a a newer you know, in invention, you know, quote unquote, because it, it just wasn't something that was around. Dogs just, just kind of, um, like, like I said, you know, pretty much kind of ate, you know, what the family ate. And so, you know, as, as Brianna said, they, they are opportunists and definitely can, you know, can eat a very, very, very diet. So it's a newer thing that, you know, people have started to look into, okay, well, what exactly is going to make the dogs the healthiest? What is, you know, the most appropriate for them? So there, so there's a lot of information out there, and there seems to be a lot of disagreement about there. And you know, and people have had, um, you know, what they say, very, very good results on very, very different types of diets for their dogs. So, whatever you do with your dog, um, you know, make sure to check with your vet to make sure that your dog, you know, is healthy, stays healthy, and they may be able to give you some pointers, you know, one way or the other things to look out for, watch for, or to add into your dog's diet. Another, um, another great resource are other people who are feeding their dogs in a similar way to how you would like to feed your dog who have also had good results. I mean, you know, if I, if I met somebody whose dogs, you know, in general were living to be 30 years old, I'd probably figure out what diet they were feeding them and feed my dogs that. That would be great. Um, that's a little exaggeration. I don't know of anybody like that, but... Um, you know, people, people whose dogs are long lived in great health are probably a good resource so far as diet goes. And then, you know, as I said before, do what works best for you and your dog and also kind of keep an eye on them yourself. See what their energy level looks like. See what their behavior looks like. See, you know, what their coats, nails, teeth look like. Just, you know, the general condition of your dog as, as you know, your dogs. So, you know, very, very well from all of your interactions with them you are probably a very good judge as to how healthy they are or not. And you know if something's, you know, a little off or if something is suddenly doing great for your dogs. Um, so thank you, Brianna, for, you know, for bringing that up so I can delve a little more deeply into that area of it. It's really cool to hear uh, your experience with, with feeding raw and that it has been a really good one for you. Um, so, you know, for people out there who may be interested in doing that, uh, there's, there's one story right there. So... Now, for our next topic, um, we had a question speaking speaking of dogs' health and things such as that. This comes from Jessica, and she writes in, 
My dog Gus is a German Shepherd Doberman Pinscher mix, and he is partially deaf. He's 10 years old now. Can you talk about how to ease the hearing impaired transition for both dog and owner? I think he is becoming depressed because he feels he is not able to work for us anymore, which is not true. We love him just the same. Any tips would be great. Well, Jessica, um, as as you said, you know, even even though it may be kind of tougher for him to um, to interact with you the same ways or work for you, you know, it's it's not true that he can't. Deaf dogs and dogs who formerly did have hearing and and are going deaf can do all kinds of different activities with their people, and can absolutely um, do you know work be that you know obedience or you know or any other kind of you know having a working relationship with their people it's just that you know in doing so there are some you know some differences that you'll want to keep in mind and you know some different ways of interacting with your dog that of course will become necessary um, now there's there's a really really great website um, that that's out there that has some training tips on there for you and I, I specifically uh, point out the training tips because that's what your question was about but the the website it's the deaf dog education action fund we'll have the link for that for you and the link to the training tips but um just to kind of quickly go over some of the highlights of what they bring up um first of all when you when you are working with a dog that is going deaf um you know it's it, it's it's a little bit different in that, of course, you can't you can't really speak to your dog the same way, or you know if you can during the time that they're beginning to go deaf, um, you know keep in mind that as as their hearing continues to deteriorate, there may come a time where they can't really hear you. Now, if you have a dog that's already you know working with you, if it say knows obedience commands or knows games or knows tricks. Um, knowing that its hearing is going away, but knowing this before the hearing is totally gone can be a great asset to you because that gives you some time to help your dog associate some of the words it knows with some signs that it knows. And um, signs, you know, similar to with people who are deaf using um, sign language, signs are invaluable for interacting with your dog. They can and do learn different signs for different, you know, different obedience commands or tricks or so on. Um, and as a matter of fact, in some levels of obedience, dogs are required to know hand signals regardless of whether the dog can hear or not. And as people train their dogs, one thing that, um, that a lot of people bring up is that if you train your dog using both a hand signal and a verbal command at the same time, a lot of times the dogs seem to pick up on the hand signals before they do the verbal command. So that's something that you have going for you, that teaching your dog with hand signals you know, may mean that they kind of pick up on things a little bit quicker to begin with. Um, however, on the, on the flip side of that, you of course don't, don't have the extra added bonus of being able to verbally praise your dog quite the same way that you do um, when your dog hears. So a couple things that you can do instead of that are one is you can come up with a good dog sign a lot of people will use clapping or a thumbs up sign or just you know something that you can tell your dog that you mean you know good that it did whatever you want or a good job um so, you know same as you would say to your dog good dog another thing is that food in training will probably become even more important than it was before because that is, you know, that's a great way for you to get across that they did what you wanted or to praise them. Um, you know, before you could give them food and the verbal praise, 
now you can give them the food and as a matter of fact giving them the food is a great way to teach them the good dog sign because you can give them the food and the, the sign at the same time. Also the food will be even more important in getting their attention because as they start to lose their hearing they may pay it more attention to their other senses or it may even seem as if their other senses become more heightened, smell being one of them. So if you use extra smelly treats then that's something that will help to you know get and keep their attention. Now, uh, speaking of getting your dog's attention, of course, you know if your dog is say you know running away from you, you're going to have a really tough time getting their attention now that they can't hear you. So um, number one, and you know, and most important in dealing with this is it's going to be even more important than it ever was before to keep your dog either on a leash or in an enclosed area. Um, now, of course, you know, we, we talk about this all the time, how, how very important it is to do that, you know, even if your dog is well-trained because you never know what can happen. That goes for all dogs. But for a dog that's losing its hearing and can't hear you call them back out of a dangerous situation, it becomes even more important. So, um, so be sure that your dog is always leashed or in a safe, enclosed area. Um, because if it you know if it does get away from you, then it'll be tougher to get its attention. Now, if your dog is you know so- somewhere where you're trying to get its attention, and you're not actually you know touching it or it can't see you, some other ways to get its attention are if you're inside. Some uh, great way is to stomp on the floor, and they can you know they can feel that movement. You can turn lights on and off. If they're outside, say they're in your inside of your fenced yard and you're trying to get their attention um, you can use like a a flashlight or again if there's an outside light you can turn that on and off you can you can throw something into their line of sight like a ball or or a, um, a little stone if you do that be really really careful that you don't hit your dog because you don't want to you don't want to accidentally scare it um you know just put something into its line of sight they also make vibrating collars. Now, these are these are different than electronic shock collars. They're not shock collars. They are just a collar that will make um, a, a vibrating, kind, kind of like a cell phone. If you have a cell phone on vibrate mode, um, similar to that, you can use those. To, you can use those and teach your dog that when it um, feels the vibration, that it should look to you to see what's going on. And so that's um, a great way to get your dog's attention as well. Um, that's one that, of course, that takes a little bit longer and is some training, but um, but you know, but that can be invaluable for you know if your dog if your dog is heading somewhere you don't want them to and you're trying to get their attention without having to run over and actually physically stop them yourself. Um, now, some some other things that'll be a little bit different. Uh, it'll it'll be very very important that you kind of desensitize your dog to being startled. Um, in you know normal normal everyday living with a dog that can hear if you say walk up behind your dog or even even if you wake them out of their sleep a lot of times they have been able to hear you you know hear you coming or they heard your footsteps so on so they have some warning that you're there and they you know they don't get startled or they don't get as startled as they would have if they didn't hear you now with a dog that's been used to depending on that and now suddenly they can't hear you coming and then you just suddenly appear um, it, can, it can be really startling to them so the way that the way that you desensitize them to the startling is you um, you'll want to walk up 
behind your dog sometime when they're kind of, you know, not not aware that you're there. Um, make, make sure that you have a treat or, or a ball or something else wonderful. That's that's a great reward for the dog. Gently touch your dog. Um, you know, don't don't just go start petting it, um, but just just try to maybe um, put put your hand on like a couple of hairs on it so that it can kind of slowly feel that you're there. And as soon as the dog, you know, turns around, give them the treat, give them the ball, whatever, whatever their reward is. And of course, act, you know, act very happy to see, you know, to see them too. maybe give them the good dog sign if they know that. In this way, your dog will start to form some positive associations with, well, well, well ba- basically with being startled, but rather than feeling startled, this will become, this will become normal to the dog and it'll become a positive thing. Same type of idea with conditioning your dog to wake up easily when the dog is sleeping. The way to do that is when your dog is sleeping, first put your hand kind of in front of their nose so that they can smell you. Then you're going to very, very lightly touch your dog again, almost just kind of touching the hair on your dog, lightly pet them until they awaken. And what you're trying to do here is rather than, than giving them a chance to startle awake, you want to do it so gently that they just kind of slowly wake up. And then, you know, the same thing, give them a lot of positive reinforcement, at, you know, a treat, your smiling face, your good dog sign, if they know that, so that they learn to wake up either, you know, just at your smell or maybe, you know, feeling you touch them on their shoulder or their back. Now, even though you are doing all of these desensitization exercises, at the same time, it's very important that you let other people who come into your house, um, particularly people who aren't normally there, children, um, you know, any anybody that your dog isn't used to coming up and, and being right there next to them when they maybe don't expect it, that you that you let them know not to walk up behind the dog, not to awaken the dog, because the dog can still startle a little bit more easily than it did in the past, um, and it, it'll be much, much safer. With that, it's also a good idea to start training your dog to sleep somewhere that's kind of contained, um, especially if you have the type of dog that likes to kind of lie around the house wherever it happens to lay. Um, try try to put it in, you know, in a crate would be great, or, you know, or maybe, you know, even a bed with sides but something so that it will not, you know, so that it'll be kind of tougher for people to accidentally trip over the dog because they didn't know it was laying there or to do something else where the dog would be awakened and startled. And that's just kind of a safety issue for everybody who's involved. Of course, another important safety issue is if your dog is already aggressive when it gets startled, that you shouldn't try any of these tips without consulting a behaviorist or, I guess, your vet. Mm-hmm. To do it yourself may not be a good idea at all. Right, right, yeah, yeah. If you've had if you've had prior experience with, um, as Walsh said, any aggression issues with these things, then you know, then, then please don't go trying to trying to train them out by yourself. Now, this, um, you know, this basically assumes that your dog doesn't already have any aggression with these certain situations. Um, other other than that, um, be sure to keep your dog informed of kind of where you go, because if you're say in the room with your dog and you get up and leave the room and go somewhere in the past your dog would probably you know hear you and look up and see oh okay you're leaving the room now your dog's not going to know and it can cause them to become kind of anxious um, and they'll they'll go around and look for you so if you if you just will 
you know, make sure whenever you're going to leave the room to kind of, you know, pet your dog so that they, you have their attention so they can watch you leave the room, then that'll make things a lot easier for them as well. Um, and other other than that, once once you've made, a, you know, a few adjustments and you've gotten used to you know, communicating with your dog through, you know, through signals rather than through words, living living with a deaf dog is very much like living with a dog that's not deaf, um, you know, as as with as with most things such as uh you know blindness or loss of a limb it's almost like the dogs don't the dogs don't really notice they just kind of go on with life and are perfectly happy as they are so you know so it can really really be great and you may you know your dog will be able to work with you just as much as it always did um you know just just so long as you're able to make some of the changes to different hand signals and your dog may pick up some new tricks and that may make it a little you know a little bit uh happier of a transition for both you and your dog and that way your dog will know that he can still work for you no problem so thank you very much for writing in about that jessica we have an email that came in from Shayna. she just got a new puppy and so she writes in um, asking about some questions about adding a second dog to the family now we've actually covered this topic um, in different ways a couple of times before in um, in canine cast number seven, we talked about um, bringing a puppy or a new dog into your home, and then covered that in more detail in canine cast number forty four. Uh, now, in in number forty four, we talked we talked at length about actually introducing the new puppy to the dog. But um, the, just to go over some some general some general highlights from that, um, you know, of course, when when introducing the 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 puppy to the new dog it's good to do so on neutral ground and keep in mind that it may it may take some time it may not you know everything may not go smoothly the first time they meet and if so that's okay they can still you know over time learn to learn to kind of um you know get along with each other and things can go a little bit smoother in them meeting each other a few different times of course a lot of that depends on the temperament of the dogs to start out with then after after the dogs have gotten to where they're getting they're getting along, you can bring the puppy inside with the new dog. Then that's when they, that's when it really starts to become important to you know establish the uh, the order or the pack order within the house. Of course, the person being the alpha. But and this and this probably started when they met. The older dog is likely to be the higher ranking dog at least while the puppy is young, and a lot of a lot of dogs do just just you know have an in it sense of younger dogs and that you know they'll they'll generally be pretty patient with the younger dog however um you know the younger dogs it's almost like their job to try the patience of the older one so occasionally you'll probably see your older dog kind of you know tell tell the younger one that's enough and they can do they can do it in ways that can look kind of not so nice through uh, <laughs> snarling and growling and that kind of thing um, that's okay so long as you always have the two dogs super, you know, supervised. You won't, don't want to leave them alone um, until the puppy is about is about the same size as the older dog. Um, but you know, just kind of when you, you know when you when you hear kind of a little growl or snarl, just make sure that you know you see what's going on. And most of the time, it'll it'll stop right then with you know normally the puppy getting into a submissive position, and then they just kind of part for a little while that's that's absolutely fine uh it's very important that you reinforce the the pecking order as it is um because 
to to do otherwise can result in you know in um some what people what people call would would call jealousy sometimes it may be and sometimes it may just be you know the dogs trying to you know resort out the the pecking order if they think that you know the human isn't doing it quite in the correct way so the ways to do that are the the older dog or you know or the the alpha dog which in most cases will be the older dog at first um you know pet the older dog first feed them first you know take them for walks first they they get the good the good stuff and they get the first things now um in shana's email she she specifically writes in um we're getting a havanese puppy tomorrow that's 12 weeks old and i'm wondering if you have any tips for adding a second dog do i walk them together crate them together let the puppy sleep on the bed um, in general, my answer to these questions, Shana, would be to do do with the puppy, um, or or first, I guess I should rephrase this: don't do anything with the puppy that you aren't going to want to do long term. Um, meaning, if 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 long term your dogs are allowed to sleep on your bed with you, then yeah, you know, then yes, the puppy can sleep on the bed. However, um, you know, do keep in mind that the, you know, your older dog may want, you know, may, if they're sleeping on the bed, let them on the bed first and then let, you know, then let the uh, younger one on, let the older dog be the one who kind of, you know, picks the prime spot and then let the puppy figure out where the puppy is going to lay. Um, so far as walking them together, you, you can, uh, I would, I would say, especially while the, while the younger one is in training, um, it may be a little bit easier on you to walk them separately, um, especially since the younger one will probably need to go on many, many, many more walks than than the bigger one, and uh, and may tend to play around rather than doing business. So just just kind of watch to see what goes on with that. But um, when you do walk them together, don't don't let your puppy um, kind don't let your puppy give the older one too much trouble especially if the older one is you know trying to do its business or whatever you know it may not appreciate having a small puppy bound all around it so if you do decide to walk them together just keep that in mind um, so far as creating them together i would say probably at the beginning no because then then they're going to be combined in a in a very very small space together and if for any reason things do get nasty it'll be really difficult for you to get in there and separate them in a quick amount of time so it would probably be better if you could create them separately at the beginning and actually so far they may never get to the point where they prefer to be created together they may you know have their own crates and prefer to be in them separately if you if you start to notice them habitually on their own going into crates together and just kind of hanging out in there together when the puppy is about the size of the other one, at that point, it might be okay to crate them together. Like, for instance, with Toby and Kyler, um, we originally didn't crate them together, but they they just, over time, got to the point where they just wanted to be in the crate together. So now we put them in the crate together because that's that's how they like it. That's how they, that's how they left to their own devices, will go anyway. So just kind of, you know, read your dog on that to see you know what things are going to work with your dog and your new puppy but um but best of luck with that and you know let us let us know how it works out and hopefully they're uh, they're going to become very good friends very quickly so now we have a listener email about doggy play groups and this is this is really neat and and well timed and i'll get into why in a little while but this comes from chorus and she writes in i have a suggestion for a topic for your show Doggy playgroups. It's not just for kids. Then she says, not to advertise their website, 
meetup.com, but you can find tons of doggy play groups all over the web. It's a great way to socialize and exercise your dog, plus the humans get to socialize too. I have lots of fun at my Schnauzer playgroup in New York City. We meet once a month, and it's free and informal. About 20 to 30 people gather to talk about how funny our dogs are, while the Schnauzers romp and play at the dog run. I wanted you to mention this, because these playgroups are becoming hugely popular and can be fun for people seeking a new way to help their dogs work off excess energy, or for a dog owner who is new to a city and would like to make friends and share interests in a particular breed. In New York City, where I live, there are tons of doggy playgroups, especially on Yahoo Groups and Meetup.com, and we're all becoming active in the community. For instance, there's the Chihuahua Playgroup, who marched in New York City's Chinese New Year Parade for the Year of the Dog. It was super fantastic. Aww. And there's also the New York City Pug Play Group, who hosts regular fundraisers for local animal shelters. Pugs helping pugs. So there's lots of fun to be had for the dogs and much more if you join a doggy play group in your city or town. Thanks for letting me share this with your listeners. Take care, Chorus and my pup, Roxy. Thanks for writing in to let us know about this, Chorus. Um, this, is, this is such a great outlet for, you know, for dogs and their people to uh, to meet other other dogs and people who you know share similar characteristics and and interests and just you know it's it's a great resource because not only can you know not not only can people and dogs get together and socialize but it also you know kind kind of gets a network out there of people that you know you can go to for you know for questions um, and especially in the case of the breed meetups um, you know a lot of the people who are really really into breeds will keep up on the new things that are happening within that breed, whether it be, you know, medical or something else. And so those are great resources to go to for, you know, for that kind of information that you may not be able to find elsewhere as easily. Yeah. And as I mentioned at the beginning of the show, um, and can I cast number 60, we went over how we went to a Chihuahua meetup with Toby and Kyler and uh, we had a great time. It was a meetup like one of the ones that Corey's was talking about. So definitely recommend them. Yes, that that we do, and that's and that's why um, we're saying that this email was especially well timed. Although we we weren't l- lucky enough to uh, walk in the New York City parade for the for the Year of the Dog, but I but I really really like the story um, about that, and also you know pl- the play groups and meetups that are you know that are getting into helping out in the dog community. That is, that's just wonderful to hear as well. So you know, thank you so much for sharing this with us, and we hope that you know. Our other listeners, you know, will check out different meetups in your area because it's it's a lot of fun and a great resource to get involved with. So now we're going to take a break for a word from our sponsor. As a bloodhound, I have a pretty good sense of smell. Right now I can smell a seven-ounce filet with hollandaise sauce about four miles from here. Mmm, I love filet. I think I'll go see if they have any left over. You don't think your dog will run away? Your dog might think differently. One in three pets will get lost. Without ID, 90% won't return home. That's why vets recommend the Home Again Microchip, a safe, permanent ID that can bring your pet home. Talk to your vet about Home Again and visit homeagainpets.com. And thanks to our sponsor, Home Again. And now it's time for listener pictures. Our first picture was sent in from Connie, and she sent in a picture of Will, and she says that she listens to the canine cast while she takes walks with Will in the state park nearby. And this picture of Will looks like he's sitting very nicely on the grass. And what kind of dog is Will, Tara? Uh, Will, well, he appears to be an Afghan hound. And I believe that Connie wrote in before about him 
um, and, and said that he is an Afghan hound. That's right. Well, thank you very much for that picture, Connie. And our next picture comes in from Kate of her dog, Sandy. You may remember Kate from Canine Cast number 57. She sent us in the story about laughing dog sounds and how it may be calming to her dogs. And she said that if the laughing dog sound works, that she's going to get her dog Sandy an MP3 player and some headphones for her walks. And in this picture, the laughing dog sound must have worked because you can see that Sandy is wearing her headphones and also has her MP3 player right there. And from the looks of this unusual but very, very cool picture, uh, Sandy appears to be enjoying her headphones quite quite a lot, too. She must so, be listening to the canine cast. Maybe, maybe. So thank you so much for sending in those pictures. We really like those ones. And, of course, you can see these in the listener picture gallery. Or if you're watching this on your computer or with your video iPod, then you'll see these pictures popping up as we're talking about them. So thank you so much for joining us once again for a canine cast. Feels good to be back in front of the microphone and talking about all of our favorite subject. So please continue to send in also your questions and comments and stories. Um, so we love having those on the show. And you know, if we if we haven't gotten to yours yet, um, you know, please know we we have a number there because well, it's been a little while. Uh, since we've done a show but um but we'll be getting to them as time goes on we really really appreciate all of your emails and getting to interact with you guys so thanks again for all of your support and until the next time which should be next week if you haven't already please remember to spay or neuter your dog it's the best thing you can do for your furry friend if you have a question for tara or a comment about canine cast please send an email to caninecast at gmail.com or you can leave a voicemail at 206-338-DOGS. And you can leave a comment on our website at caninecast.com.